Industry Focus. The podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild card! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Monday, November 16th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. And on this week's financial show, we're going to be taking a closer look at a company that holds a pretty big share of the consumer credit card market, among other things. Joining me this week is certified financial planner, Matt Frankel. Matt, how's everything going? Pretty good. It was a beautiful weekend down here in South Carolina. We were supposed to get a lot of rain from that tropical storm, but it just never happened. Uh, how, How was the weather up by you? Yeah, you know, it's been really nice. It was actually a bit of a warm spell last week. Got out and did a little yard work. I think I tidied up the yard uh, and uh, got everything kind of prepped for the winter because it's starting to cool down a little bit now this week. But uh, beautiful weekend, certainly. Got out of the house and was able to to enjoy that good weather. And, um, you know, I mean, Thanksgiving's just around the corner. I mean, it's it's November. It doesn't feel like November. So I I guess a lot of people are, are still, you know, kind of happy about that. Not too cold up here yet. Yeah, I mean, South Carolina never gets that cold, I guess, by by (laughs) your standards, but it's it's cooling off a little bit. It's it's definitely not a typical November yet. Yeah, yeah, well, same here, but, you know, it's it's just around the corner, I'm sure. We'll get there eventually. Matt, we had a uh, one of one of our loyal and, and wonderful listeners. Uh, he, he reached out to us on Twitter uh, recently and and asked if we could dive into a specific company for uh, one of our shows. And and we thought today would be actually a really good day to do this. Uh, we got a tweet from Carlos at DJ underscore Los Ten, and Carlos asked, "Can you do a deep dive on Capital One?" On Monday's financial show. Very interested to hear your opinion. Well, Carlos, you know, we just kind of got through the crux of earnings season. So today is your lucky day. We're actually going to give you our opinion on Capital One. We're going to take a closer look at Capital One, understand the business, how it makes money, the market it's playing in, opportunities for investors, all that good stuff. I feel like I've got the man for the job right here with me, uh, Matt. So I'm I'm really going to be looking forward to hearing your take here. So so let's just jump in. And first off, uh, you know, with Capital One, I mean, it's it's understanding exactly what this business does. I mean, I think first and foremost, we see a lot of the commercials out there with Samuel L. Jackson, Jennifer Garner. They keep asking you that question over and over again: What's in your wallet? That's the capital one we're talking about, right? But this is more than just a credit card company, isn't it? Yeah, well, technically, they're a regional bank. Um, as a consumer, you're probably more familiar with Capital One than I am because they're in your area, but not they mine. They are. Yeah, McLean, Virginia. Uh, it's its home base up here in McLean, Virginia. Funny story. I got my first Capital One credit card when I was in college, but I didn't know they were an actual physical bank until I first went to D.C. <laughs> and, and saw a Capital One branch. In the, I think there was a Capital One ATM in the airport. Yeah, um, and and I, right. I had no idea they were an actual physical ba- physical bank until then. But they're, well, they're, f- physical bank, but I mean, much like like many banks out there, they're starting to whittle back that physical presence too, right? I mean, they're definitely, uh, and, and we'll, we'll get into this, but they are certainly trying to become more of a of a digital and virtual bank, as, as many are. Well, yes and no. They they are scaling back their branch network to some degree, but they're also. Capital One, correct me if I'm wrong, they're the ones who are like opening cafes inside some of their branches. They're trying to really double down on the the the, the more high traffic and valuable branches that people are actually going to. They're doubling down on those locations. Um, I remember reading the Capital One Cafe story a while ago. 
Um, I don't know if there's a Capital One Cafe near you. But, I don't uh, know. I've seen the commercials, though. I mean, it it is it's interesting to me. I've seen those commercials, and it always kind of makes me wonder. Like, is it it it's almost like they're trying to be Starbucks in that third place. It's like, is a bank really where you want to go sit and just hang out? I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I guess it doesn't resonate with me, but I also understand I'm I'm I'm, I'm an old guy compared to a lot of these younger consumers they're pursuing. So maybe there's something there. I don't know. Maybe. And I mean, they're definitely taking a more um, a quality over quantity approach. Um, they're not just scaling back. Like, I mean, Bank of America is just closing down branches. Um, Wells Fargo is just closing down branches. But they're really like doubling down on their core branches, I guess I'd say. Um, but they are a branch-based bank. They're a regional bank. I know that the capital in Capital One refers to DC. Um, so they are a regional bank. They have branches. If you're not in the DC area or some other major cities in the Northeast, you might not know that. Uh, in South Carolina, for example, we don't have Capital One branches. Um, so they are unique in the sense that they are a lender. All banks lend money. At the core of the banking business, you lend money, you take in deposits, you pay them out one interest rate, you charge another interest rate to your, your customers when you're making out loans, and your profit is the difference. Where Capital One is really different is because they are primarily a credit card lender. That is not the case for most other banks. Um, for example, I know like, like Wells Fargo's and Bank of America have mortgage loans, auto loans. They are not primarily a credit card lender. They all have credit card products. But for Capital One, just to kind of mention one of the numbers, they ended 2019 with a, almost half of their loan portfolio as credit cards. That's a pretty big makeup. I mean, and, and the rest, I mean, they have some auto loans, they have some commercial loans to businesses. But they are credit cards are their biggest single type of loan. And that can be a good or a bad thing. We'll get into that in just a minute. But they are a credit card heavy lender, which is the most unique thing about them. I'm, I, I tell you that story, but I'm sure I'm not the only one who thinks that they are just a credit card company. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, I think it's probably easy to think that. And I mean, because that's really that that's how as consumers, I mean, that's probably how we most identify with that brand is just through those commercials and understanding that they are aiming to hold a position in, in you know, your your actual wallet, um, whether it's physical or, or digital. But I mean, to your point there in regard to to that leverage to credit cards, I mean, to take that even one step further, I mean, looking through their 10K, uh, one thing, you search the, the, the term, you search the word mortgage, and really the only reason mortgage exists in that 10K is in the form of how perhaps they um, have investment exposure in their assets regarding mortgage-backed securities and whatnot. I mean, this is not a mortgage banker. It, I was looking at um, just just how they make their money, and over the last uh, over the last year, it looked like credit cards were were responsible for about 64 percent. Of, of net revenues, with consumer banking making up about 26%, commercial banking up, uh, commercial banking making up about about 10%. Um, so, so to your point, yeah, I mean, ex- extremely levered to that credit card business. Yeah, credit cards are not only a big portion of their loan portfolio, but they are higher income. I mean, anyone who has a credit card in their wallet knows that the interest rate on it's a lot more than you're paying on your auto loan, for example. Um, I don't know if you have a Capital One credit card, but I have a couple of them. I don't, um, you know, I don't. I, I I never have, and I guess I never will. I try to limit the number of cards. It's it's nothing against them. I just I mean, you know, I it's it's not something I ever ended up with in my wallet. I mean, I've I've got the you know the Amazon Prime Visa, and I've got an American Express card, and and those two together take care of everything I need. 
That's true. I, I'm technically a small business owner because I'm an independent contractor. So I have their business version of the credit card. Uh, the Spark business is a, a fantastic uh, business card, by the way. Uh, I know we, we've I've written about it for the Ascent. It's a really good product. Um, but they they've and that's kind of the point. They've done they've differentiated themselves through their credit card business, not just be and I mean you don't get 128 billion dollars of credit card loans on your books at the end of last year without having a good product. So. I, the Venture card um, is, I think, I'd, I'd say the Venture is their flagship credit card. And that has one of the best, a 2% flat reward rate, which is one of the best in the business. Um, they have some really unique credit card products. They have um, one, I think, that's that's a newer product that's geared toward eating out, um, where it, it, it it's designed for people who dine out and pays really good rewards on that. Their business credit cards are excellent. Um, when you compare them to the perks that and, and annual fees that the competition has. So they've really done a great job of differentiating their credit card business. And credit cards are a good and bad thing from an investor's point of view. Um, I mentioned that they are very profitable if, they're, if things are going well. Um, just to kind of name a couple of the statistics here, Capital One's net revenue margin on their credit card business is 15.8%. That means when you take the rate they're coming, they're getting off their credit card loans and subtract the cost of that capital through deposits, you get 15.8%. That's a big spread. I mean, most banks are happy to get like 4%. Um, so that that's a big differentiating factor. Do you feel like now, I mean, that's that's an interesting point that you make there in regard to that spread, because, you know, one thing you hear banks talking more and more about these days, particularly these days, it feels like is is access to that low to no cost deposit base, right? That that base where, you know, we as consumers are depositing into that bank account and we're not getting any interest on it or we're getting virtually no interest on it. And that basically is free money for the bank to do whatever they want. That low to no cost deposit base is that something that that Capital One benefits from, um, or or is it is it more because they're able to dictate terms on the card side more? Yeah, well, well, a little of both. And I'm really glad you brought up the deposit thing because they are really good at getting deposits to cover their cost of capital instead of having to borrow money, which is a more expensive way to do it. Um, and that's especially true in 2020. Um, they ended last year with almost almost dead even, uh, $266 billion in credit card lo- or total loans and $263 billion in deposits. N- now, you know, in 2020, everyone's become a super saver, apparently. <laughs> We've talked about that before on the show. Yeah. Um, credit card, Their credit card loan portfolio dropped by about $17 billion, about $248 billion in the third quarter. Their deposit base is now up to $306 billion. So they've taken in a lot of deposits this year, and that's a really good model for a credit card lender. If you can take in, I mean, we've talked about synchrony on the show before, if you remember. Sure. Yeah. Um, how they are, their deposit base was almost enough to cover their credit card portfolio, but not quite. They still had you know, billions of dollars of capital from other sources. In Capital One's case, their deposit portfolio is enough to cover their entire lending operation. So that's a and and you got they have some higher higher yield savings pl- uh, accounts, which let's face it, right now still are not very high yield. <laughs> yeah. um, so say, I mean, I think I want to say I read that their cost, uh, their average deposit pays something about 0.8 percent right now. Um, so when you have that and you have a credit card that's charging 16 percent, the challenge is. 
loaning credit cards to people or giving credit cards to people who are going to be able to pay pay them back. That's um, yeah, yeah. That's it, that's a good point. And, and we're living in a time now where we've seen a lot of news recently with the FICO scores. Uh, you know, they, they've adjusted how those FICO scores are, are tallied, and we've we've seen the average FICO score go up, which obviously opens up a bigger lending base. Right, more people able to get cards and access to lending. It is, and I mean, a lot. Some lenders are pumping the brakes on credit card lending right now, which is totally understandable given the uncertainty that's been going on. Um, I mean. Most credit card lenders don't publish their specific approval guidelines. Like, we want a 720 credit score, and we want to see this much income and things like that. But in general, when when times get tough, it becomes tougher to get a credit card. You know, where a lender might normally want like a 700 score, they might want a 740 now or something to that effect. So that has that could have a little bit to do with why Capital One's uh, credit card portfolio has dropped a little bit. But... They are, their core competency is credit card lending. And I mean, it's a riskier type of lending. Before the pandemic happened, the net charge-off rate in their loan portfolio was about 2.6%. That's elevated compared to other banks. Most are under one, well under 1% in normal times. Um, in the credit card side of the portfolio, it was 4.3%, meaning every $100 they loan out as credit card loans they're not going to get back about $4.30 of it. So, but when you're making $15 on that $100 credit card loan, losing $4 is a reasonable cost of doing business. The problem is when you get the pandemic or a recession or any of any tough times like we're seeing in 2020, when unemployment spikes, people run into trouble paying their debts, and that 4.3% or 4% charge-off rate can easily spike to the double digits. We saw this in the financial crisis um, where most credit card lenders had peak default rates in the 10 to 12% range. That can make your profit margin disappear really quickly. So it's a riskier form of lending, but it's higher profit when one, it's done well, and two, when times are, are going well. So it's a different animal, but it's it, the margins are, I mean, even I mentioned that the um, the net revenue margin was 15.8% on their credit card business. The net interest margin, that's after paying everything, including losses and things like that. The net interest margin was almost 7% at the end of 2019. Most banks are happy with a net interest margin in the 3% ballpark. That's where Bank of America and JP Morgan Chase run. So Capital One is you know twice as profitable. And that's not just their credit card business. That's the entire lending operation. So that's a pretty impressive cost advantage. What do you think about, you know, I saw back in um, September, I think, of last year, of 2019, they they had, um, they forged a new relationship with Walmart. They are the credit card, they, they launched a credit card issuance program with Walmart. They are, they are the exclusive issuer of Walmart's co-brand and private label credit card program here in the U.S. I mean, that's that's obviously, I mean, that's a massive potential opportunity. I mean, you see those exclusive types of relationships. I think it was what American Express had that with Costco for a while until that disappeared and went to Visa. But but you're seeing um, with Capital One, I mean, this relationship with Walmart, it, I mean, on the one hand, it seems like a massive opportunity to get a lot of cards out there in consumers' hands. On the other, I mean, it, you know, it also could be um, 
maybe maybe a little bit more open to that risk of of the the sensitive consumer, right? When times get a little bit tougher, that they may not, you know, have have the resources to to be able to pay back those bills. So that could that could be something you, you could see that work in both ways. I think. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up the Walmart thing. That was actually Synchronies before it was Capital One's. Um, if you remember, about a year ago, Synchrony's stock just fell off a cliff, and that was because because uh, they lost the Walmart account. Uh, they just they just couldn't agree on terms, so Capital One ended, ended up getting it. Um, and in a way, it was actually kind of a sigh of relief for Synchrony because Walmart it they, it wasn't the best credit quality portfolio. Um, when you think of say like an American Express, their clientele tends to skew toward the affluent, you know, upper middle class. The, the people who get American Express cards are generally the, the more capable of paying their and willing and able to pay their credit cards back. When you um, Capital One and just general bank credit cards are a more middle of the road consumer base. So when you get retail credit cards, they tend to be the riskier of all. Um, Synchrony, that's why Synchrony cards generally charge like 29, 30% interest because store credit cards generally have a much lower, um, uh, I'm sorry, a much higher net charge off rate than than other ones. So the Walmart, it's something to keep an eye on. But at the same time, getting co-branded deals like that is something I would like to see Capital One do better. And the Walmart's definitely a step in the right direction. When you think of all these other credit card issuers, like how many co-branding partnerships does American Express have? I can name Delta, I can name Hilton, I can name Marriott, I get, you know, the list goes on. There's a lot of co-branded American Express cards. When you think of Capital One, most Capital One cards are just Capital One cards. So I, I think co-branding is a big opportunity for them. So I think the Walmart's a step in the right direction, but a step that needs to be taken with caution. Yeah, and you get something like that with a Walmart where it's gonna be it's gonna be a little bit more of a kind of a recurring spend, right? A little bit more of a reliable and recurring spend. Um, people people shopping at a place like Walmart for all sorts of reasons. I mean, not to mention the fact that they hold, I mean, a, like a fifty percent share in the American in the U.S. grocery market. So I mean, it just it's it's a very nice recurring spend model and 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 just a massive customer base. Where you can you can certainly see the opportunity there. It made a lot of sense to me um, for them to jump in that. What you know this? So I mean, I guess I mean at the end of the day, I mean Capital One. This is a bank, right? I mean Capital One itself. This is a holding company for a couple of its subsidiaries. And, and but I mean this is a bank. It's beholden to these same types of obligations, ratios, requirements that all banks are 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 um, are, are required to to, to maintain. The metrics for success for something like a Capital One, I'm assuming, are very similar to your typical banks that that we cover, whether it's a Wells Fargo or, or you know, an American Express, for example. Yeah, for sure. There's definitely. Um, I mean, one, all banks, including Capital One, have to submit to pretty stringent capital requirements these days. Number two, banks put money in reserves to cover their potential losses. This is why bank earnings were terrible in the second quarter, for example. If you remember when um, Wells Fargo was putting aside 3 or $4 billion and other banks were doing the same, Capital One generally has a pretty high level of reserves. Um, in normal times, they have more set aside for, their, for losses than their net charge-off ratio is. About 2.7% of their loan portfolio was just set aside to cover losses. 
I mean, that's the nature of the product that they're selling, though, right? I mean, it's far a credit card's far different than a mortgage. So, I mean, it seems like that that's going to be always the case, even in the best of times, right? For sure. And right now, they have six point six and a half percent of their entire loan portfolio set aside to cover losses, including eleven percent of their credit card portfolio. So they could char- they could not collect eleven percent of their outstanding credit card loans, and they have the money in the bank to cover it. So that's pretty impressive. And um, worth mentioning, their net charge-off ratio actually went down in the third quarter. Um, a lot of that has to do with um, you know stimulus kind of holding the, the economy up, things like that. And we'll see what happens you know now that Congress can't get its act together and agree on a stimulus <laughs> bill. Um, but so the net charge-off ratio is actually about 3.5% right now. And they're setting aside enough for 11% in the credit card business. So if if this holds out, that's going to be a big reserve release too. So it, it kind of works. In, it works both ways. They set aside a ton of money, but then if losses don't happen, they get to give some of that back to investors. So they're well capitalized and well prepared for losses. In is the short version of of all that. Well, that's what you want to hear. I mean, that's that's definitely what you want to hear. Um, particularly when you're tied to, tied to cards as they are. Uh, let's talk a little bit about today's big headline. We were talking before taping regarding Moderna and the headline uh, that came out this morning. Preliminary data from a phase three trial shows that its coronavirus vaccine is more than ninety four percent effective in preventing against COVID nineteen. I mean, this is something. I mean, CEO Stephanie. Uh, Bankle, I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Uh, she called a game changer, and um, I mean, to me, you know, we, we were talking about how this this string of vaccine news is, is certainly been received very well by the real estate market. What about with I mean, a company like Capital One? Why is the vaccine such a positive catalyst for a company like Capital One? Well, you want unemployment to return to normal as soon as possible, that, especially if you're a credit card lender. Um, high unemployment means higher than average defaults. Like I said, right for the you know the second and third quarter, banks and credit card companies have been really good about letting people suspend their payments if they want to. Um, there's been some stimulus going on, things like that. So we really haven't seen the effects play out yet. The ideal scenario is that the vaccine will be available, life will essentially return to normal, unemployment will normalize before we start seeing a giant wave of people running you know, running out of money to pay their bills. So that's the big hope when you see this vaccine news, when it comes to banks and credit card heavy banks like Capital One in general, is that you want the economy and life as we know we knew it to return, essentially unemployment as we knew it to return, especially before people start running out of money. Um, you know, if, you, if uh, an unemployment rate in the the four to five percent ballpark would be a a great great news for Capital One, and the sooner we get a vaccine, the sooner we're going to get there. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, and by the way, I looked up their co-branding partners. Uh, Capital One also partners with GM um, to issue their credit card. Cabela's, if you're an outdoorsy person, you know who that is. And Bass Pro Shop. Bass Pro Shop. Um, well, I mean, but, you know, hey, listen, the good, good co-brand relationships. And, and frankly, I think they do a tremendous job on just brand awareness. The commercials, I mean, they they... They become a little redundant, but you you, you remember them, you know. You remember them. <laughs> they do. I mean, I, I mean, Walmart's a big deal, and I th- I'd like to see them pursue a few more big deals. I mean, the ones we were just talking about, like GM, Cabela's, and Bass. That, that's not that's not a Delta. That's not a Costco. That's not you know, it, that's not Amazon. So I, I'd like to see them pursue like a, a you know, the, like how Buffett likes to say, fire the elephant gun. Like pursue a big partnership and 
and bring that into the fold. But I, I, I mean, Capital One's they put out great credit card products, and I like. I mean, I think that's a big opportunity they have going forward. You know, one thing I noticed, and in, in I just, uh, I, I guess, you just don't, it doesn't seem like you see this that often, particularly with a forty billion dollar uh, bank. Um, but but Rich Fairbank, the CEO and the uh, the chairman of the business, also the founder of Capital One Bank. I think uh, Rich is sixty nine years old, maybe now. So so I you know I don't know how long he plans to to, to remain at the helm there. But I, you just don't really often see. A, a bank of this size still founder led. I mean, I, I feel like, um, you know, that, that is, I feel like that is a, that's a reason for the success to this point. I mean, a $40 billion bank, it, it's, you know, you get there with a vision and it seems like Rich has always had one. Yeah. Like I, I was saying about the credit card business is really profitable, but really hard to be good at. And he's clearly good at it. Um, so that's definitely part of the investment thesis there. And as you said, he's, he's not getting any younger. <laughs> so None of us some, is. I mean, and Capital One is his baby. So I mean, I I can name founder-led companies that where the founders there well into their 80s, but that doesn't mean that's going to happen in this case. So that's definitely something to be aware of. So you know, let's let's just let's bring this down to the to the bottom line here. And, and I mean, if you look at the way the stock has performed here over the last several years, I mean, it's it's not lighting the world on fire, right? I mean, the last five years has been just kind of meh. Uh, you stretch it out over ten years. You know, it's it's been you've made money. It's it's not again. It's not it's nothing to write home about. It it seems to me though that they are in a position where you could see better days ahead. I don't know. I mean, am I looking at it the right way or? Yeah, I mean, well, no bank stocks have done that great in the past couple of years. Um, as as a whole, I mean, the whole the sectors. I mean, interest rates were falling even before the the. Um, pandemic started, and they were they've been one of the worst hit parts of the pandemic. So take that with a grain of salt. Most bank stocks haven't done fantastic. Um, there's money to be made, and over the long run, they've done pretty well. I mean, just looking. I mean, over the last ten years, they've returned about 160 percent uh, to investors. So that's not great, but it's not terrible considering what they've gone through in the past, you know, year and a half or so with. With falling rates and rising uh, defaults and the pandemic coming on, and so it, it in if you give them ten good years, they're going to return a lot of money. But that's like I said, that's the risk of the credit card business. They're, it's not a great business to be in during tough times. So yeah, yeah, um, they're, well, they're I mean, not they're not like, a great recession stock. Yeah, it feels like times should <laughs> should in theory get better. I mean, it, I, I don't want to be God. If it gets worse from here, then that really sucks. <laughs> so let's hope things get better from here. But I mean, I mean, you know, also there's 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 the potential of signing on another another meaningful uh, co-brand partnership. I mean, you can see that that can really that can really have a lasting impact for a business like this. And and I think that um, you know as we see the 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 finance uh, space change so much with fintech and, and new offerings for younger consumers particularly to start establishing credit using credit and debit uh it, it it does seem like there's there are plenty of opportunities for a business like this i'll put it to you that way yeah for sure there's definitely a lot of opportunities a lot of ways they can a lot of directions they could go in and the, the credit card business has been very innovative over the past i'd say you know five years or so especially um competition's never been higher it's another big risk to going forward uh credit card competition keeps heating up like a two percent reward card would be, would have been unheard of, you know, ten years ago. So that also increases the cost and and things like that. So that's something to be aware of. There's a lot of competitive pressures in the space. 
Um, you know, American Express is really doing a great job of competing for the millennial business, which is which is a big deal to credit card issuers. Um, there's a there's just a lot of competition. Um, Discover is another one doing a great job of marketing to the younger generation. Um, so you're it's it's a lot of competition there, and that's one thing to really keep in mind, even when times are good. It's a competitive business. It's a very very good point. Well, Matt, before we wrap it up this week, as uh, most always, uh, we, we want to give our listeners uh, stock to keep an eye on this coming week. So uh, what is your one to watch this week? I am watching Simon Property Group. Ticker symbol is SPG. They are a real estate investment trust. They are the biggest mall real, real estate investment trust in the world. Um, they just announced um, today a revised agreement to buy one of their rivals, Taubman Taubman Centers, another Class A mall operator, um, and they're getting a twenty percent discount. They were under contract to buy Taubman uh, before the pandemic, ended up backing out of the deal. Uh, Taubman sued them; they sued Taubman. It was going to be a big mess. They just announced today that all the litigation is resolved, and they're buying Taubman now for twenty percent less than they originally were. So they're, scoop- they're scooping up a competitor. They're broadening their reach, and. Um, I've said before, when it comes to malls, it's Simon and everyone else, and this acquisition just really adds to that statement. Nice. So I, I'm, I'm a big fan. Nice. Good deal. Uh, well, I'm going I'm to be keeping an eye on Target, ticker for Target is TGT. Uh, they, they actually have earnings coming out on Wednesday. There are a number of different angles to this, to this, to this company now, which I, I find it just a fascinating business, and, and one where they've, they've made so many interesting moves here in the last few years. Um, I mean, I, mean, I want to hear their perspective on the holiday season upcoming, um, but, but then there's also you know, the, the, the shipped angle. Remember, they, they acquired uh, shipped uh, several years ago for $550 million in cash, and that's something that has given them uh, presence in the uh, you know, fulfillment space shipping and fulfillment space, um, a little membership model there, and, and partnering with all sorts of different retailers out there. Um, you know, they, they recently announced this Alta partnership, which I think is pretty fascinating. And then, you know, speaking of cards, I mean, there, there's the Target Red Card, which uh, they work in, in partnership with MasterCard and TD Bank. Um, penetration rates there for, for Target's Red Card, you know, it, it's it's kind of hovering in that 23 to 24% range, which uh, that's just basically talking about the percentage of uh, of, of the you know, uh, revenue spent within within the company, the purchases made within Target with that red card. Um, but you know, always always interesting to see how uh, big retailers like that you know pull that lever of that of that card, and and, and certainly Target red card is something that uh, uh, keeps keeps some of those customers loyal. I'd say, which is is just interesting. But I mean, the business has done really well over the past several years. And i um, interested to see what they have to say on Wednesday. So we'll be keeping an eye on that. But Matt, I think that is going to do it for us this week. I appreciate you joining. As always, it was a lot of fun talking about Capital One. Of course. It's a fun company to dive into. They're a lot different than the other banks we follow. It's like if it's like if American Express and like Bank of America had a child, it would be Capital One. <laughs> well, we're going to leave it right there, folks. <laughs> Remember, <laughs> you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus or drop us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks, as always, to Tim Sparks for putting the show together for us. For Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.